0: Father, thank you so much for this morning. Well, thank you that we get to meet as a family and just to to worship you as a body, dear Father, and also to glean from your word here today. We pray that today that uh, whatever we hear and whatever we talk about, dear Father, you allow it to sink deep into our hearts and into our souls, Lord, and that it be something that we can use, dear Father, from Monday to Saturday, not just something that we discuss on Sunday. Father, we thank you and we give you praise. In Jesus' name. Amen. How are we all today? Good. good. I'm excited. I'm excited to share with you this morning because I'm talking to you about vocational health today. So about seven weeks ago when Pastor Steve uh, divvied out the sermons and told me that I was going to be taking on vocational health, I decided, you know what? I'm going to try and be a good worker when I get to work on Monday morning. I thought, I'm taking over vocational health, so I'll try to be a good worker. Um, And then this week, when I started listening to the sermon online, I discovered that vocational health actually has nothing to do with my job, but actually has everything to do with the work that God's given me to take care of while I am alive. So understand that today I won't be talking to you about your job because your job will change throughout your life, yeah? Some of us have that experience, I'm 30 years old now, and throughout my lifetime I've had about eight jobs, none of which I've been sacked from, but all of which I've found other opportunities. So I, I'm i not talking today about what you do during your job. I want to talk to you today about the work that God has placed and created, created you to take care of. Amen? Amen. Well, that, that whole topic starts with the question, what is your dream for your life? Give you a second to think about that for yourself. What is the dream... That God has placed in your heart for your life, because everything around you and everything that you see is the result of someone's dream. Yeah. So the carpet on the ground, someone had a dream that maybe we should have carpet floors. They start with a dream, outwork that dream, and they create a carpet. The shoes on your feet. Yeah. Even Pastor Steve should started with a dream. So understand that everything that we can see and everything that we, are, we interact with on a daily basis starts off with a dream, okay? And God gives us these dreams that we can outwork them in our lives today. And so imagination, having imagination is a big part of that. Yeah? Good, so today we're going to be talking about work, And in our lives, as we try to attain the dreams that God has created for or God has placed within us, there are going to be giants that are always trying to step in the way. And so today's today's title is actually Facing Giants in Life and Work. Alright? We're going to learn about... Facing Giants and Life at Work, we're actually going to go to the story of David and Goliath. Anyone know that story? Yeah? Everyone's pretty familiar with the story of David and Goliath. And as much as we've heard about David and Goliath, it's maybe today you're going to get a different perspective on it because it might be that we've actually looked at it in a different way or in a perspective that doesn't really give justice to the story that God is trying to tell. Amen. So, if you have your Bibles with you, if you want to flip over to 1 Samuel chapter 17, starting in verse 4, we enter into the, the, the text seeing that the Philistine and, the, and the, uh, the Israelite army are standing on either side of the valley. So, they're both standing, standing on the, uh, on the edge of a mountain. and They're looking at each other. They've been standing there for a couple of weeks because if you want to attack the enemy, you actually have to go down the valley and head off the other ridge and when you do that you expose yourself so neither of them want to do that so they decide to stand, stand on the other side of the valley from their, from their position and they're just kind of looking at each other and we meet them there and it says that now the Philistines had gathered their forces for war they occupied one hill and the Israelites another with the valley between them a champion named Goliath from Gath Came out of the Philistine camp. Ah. Ah, it doesn't want to work for me. The he was a giant of a man, over nine feet tall, wearing a huge bronze helmet and a coat of bronze armor weighed, that weighed over 125 pounds. So that's just under 60 kilos. So that's if you're going into a war, I don't know why you would want to wear that, but it's just going to weigh me down. That's all I know. He also wore bronze leggings, and slung a huge bronze javelin over his back. The iron spearhead alone weighed 15 pounds, and a soldier with a large shield always walked in front of the lion. Now we've read that. In your mind's eye, just picture the giant. Don't look at me. And picture the giant. I'm like, I'm six foot, but like, picture the giant. Yeah. He's in the valley, he comes out every day. Which one of you is going to walk down and fight Because I'm not. I'll tell you that now. <laughs> so, in the picture, it's easy for us to see the giant as the stronger opponent and to see David, the young boy, the shepherd boy, who's never been in a battle, to see him as the guy who's the underdog, He's the guy that's lacking the the experience of war. But if we look at it and we dissect it a bit, we'll actually find a different story. Now, David, what did he have in his hand when he went to fight the war? A sling. Now, a sling is actually a weapon of artillery that the ancient armies used to use alongside the archers. So when you had a battlefront or you had soldiers heading towards you, you wouldn't simply just run out and meet them. You would get your archers and your slingers in line and they would be the first line of defense for you. Yeah? And it's been tested and it's been shown that the sling that David actually used with one of the stones that he picked up from the river Kali of Elam which is where the battle was taking place was it very, very very heavy and dense when slung around the head by an experienced slinger and let go has the same stopping force as a forty-five. Wow. so essentially, David's got a gun <laughs> you hear? <laughs> makes sense? So that's the stopping power of the sling that he has in his hand. And he's coming up against uh, a soldier who has primitive means of war. He's got a javelin, yes. He's got a shield. He's got a sword. But the only dilemma with that is that if he's going to use his sword, he actually needs David to be standing here. Is that right? If you're going to use your sword, you have to... That guy needs to be, or that person needs to be within a sword's length for you to actually be able to hit them, right? He has a javelin and it's heavy. So the javelin isn't gonna go as far as the rock that they able to sling. So technologically, David is advanced. He's got the stopping power of a 45-caliber bullet in his hands, and he's experienced. This kid's experienced. Yeah, so that's the first point. Now, with giantism, there's a, there's a, a disease that's com- that's commonly found in those who, suck, who suffer from the, from the disease of giantism, and the condition is called acromegaly. Now, acromegaly is actually a tumor that grows oh, that's funny, really, this one, uh, on the pituitary gland in the brain, which produces the growth hormone that create, that allows it to grow so big, okay? And so this condition, this tumor at times, actually grows so large that it impedes on the optic nerve. And so you'll know guys like Andre the Giant, old wrestler, yeah, giant dude, he actually suffered from acrobatim and because of the tumor growing his brain, it impeded on his vision and toward the end of his life he actually had very impaired vision, yeah? So it is a common thing for people who suffer from giantism to have Aperman. So not only is David the head of Goliath with his technology, Goliath is actually vision impaired. So he can't see very well. And the last point, which ought to be the only point that that he really needs, is that David has the spirit of the Lord in him. Now this is a this has been the determining factor throughout all of history for the Israelites gaining control of territory and over other kingdoms. They have always had the spirit of the Lord with them and in, in times past where the Spirit of the Lord has gone before, gone before them, they are always victorious. And when the Spirit of the Lord has not gone with them, they have always been defeated. So it is the number one determining factor as to whether or not the Israelites would win a war or a battle. Are we are So he's got the Spirit of the Lord. The giant is invaded. And his technology is far outweighs that of the giant. So he doesn't actually have to stand... In front of the giant to fight him he can stand far up. okay so as we if we take all of those those things into account the odds are stacked in David's favor they're stacked in David's favor because the enemy he lacks in these areas so in order to find uh, in order to name some of the giants that we're going to be talking about today We actually need to go back into chapter 16, where uh, the prophet Samuel, who was the prophet of the day, who Israel would listen to in order that they would be hearing from God. So they would listen to Samuel because he was the one who heard from God. Okay? And so in chapter 16, Samuel actually is told by God to go to Jerusalem to go and find the next king of Israel. So he goes to the house of Jesse. Jesse says, hey, what are do you doing know here? He says, look, I'm looking for the next king of Israel. Where are your sons? Bring me your sons. He's like, have you got a son? It's like, oh, I've got more than a son. I've got, I've got eight boys. And he says, so you can take a pick. Which one do you want? So he brings the seven eldest before Jesse, uh, before Samuel. And he says to Samuel, uh, and Samuel says to him, yep, yeah, the eldest one looks good, but he's not the king. And he looks at the next one, no, he's not the king. He looks at the next, no, he's not the king. As a matter of fact, he goes through all seven boys and he says, Have you got any other sons? And Jesse says, Oh, uh, yeah, I've got a son, but he's, he's out in the paddock. I don't want to look at him, he's a runt. No one cares about David, he's, he's just there. He's always singing songs and he's always on his heart. He's sort of soft. He's not the king. He says, Bring him in, let's have a look at him. As soon as he walks in, Samuel says, that's the dude. Unassuming, David ends up being anointed as the king of Israel, the future king of Israel. And what happens straight after that? After he's anointed king, there is a massive celebration. There's a street party. The whole street goes off. Yeah. They're all hoisting David on their shoulders. No. No. What happens? Absolutely nothing. David sent straight back out to the field, back into the tent to the sheep. And there's actually a time of delay, which is our first giant that we will come against <coughs> when wanting to carry out the purposes of God in our lives. So what was his delay? His dad had actually Held him back. See, sometimes in our lives, it's is when we when we have the dream that God has placed within our hearts, and He's placed it in our hearts, and we we want to be striving for those dreams. Sometimes those who are closest to us who hold us back the most, and that hurts because that's, those are the opinions that you, you listen to over everyone else's. Those are the voices that you tend to run to when you need advice from those closest to you. Therefore, is that actually holding you back? Would have been such a hit for that, don't you think? I mm-hmm. the person that you trusted the most, the person that's raised you, to be the one that holds you back. You see, it's. And, that, and it's not only because he wanted to hold him back just, just because. I mean, he had a good worker in there. He was out in the field doing the job that not a lot of people wanted to do. Not a lot, a lot of people wanted to be the ones taking care of the sheep. And so if he was going to lose Dave, he was going to lose the work. You have to find someone else to do that job. So he held him back. And see, that just shows that Though God has a plan for your life, there are a lot of people who also have a plan for your life, whether you know about it or not. So you've come to the realisation that God wants you to do this certain thing, but those who have watched you grow up and those who have seen you come about, or seen you come to where you are, they also have a plan for your life, and sometimes those words are very negative. They're not going to go anywhere. You're not going to do anything. You're not going to be You're no one. So we have, and God has plans for our lives, but sometimes a lot of people actually have, have a plan for your life. That's why you've got to be careful of being listened to, yeah? 1 Samuel 17, 12 and 15 says, Now David was the youngest of Jesse's eight sons. His three older brothers enlisted in Saul's army, but David was held back to care for the sheep in Bethlehem. And it, it's so funny that the three sons that were out there, not one of those three were the ones to take down Goliath, but the one who was held back was the one with the dream and the promise to do so. Amen. Now, coming on from this, David is actually given the job to take food out to his brothers. Yeah? Now, the part of the story where he's, he's given food for the brothers and I think it's cheese for the captain. So it's, he's given the job of the delivery boy. Take this out to your brothers, make sure that they, are, they get this food and come back with a report of what's happening. And so as he goes out there, he's able to see what's happening on the battlefront. And when he gets there, he sees. This giant Goliath coming out and defying the armies of the Lord. I'm trying to be <laughs> oh, it's good. And so Goliath is out there and he's taunting the Israelite army. He comes out, it's happens to attack him for weeks. He comes out and he taunts the armies. If we were to put it in today's language, it sounds eloquent when he taunts the army in the Bible, but if we were to put it into today's language, I wouldn't be able to say the words that he's using, okay? So he's coming out and he's cursing the Israelite army to their faces, and they're so scared that they feel they can't do anything about it. And they're listening to this giant come out and speak to them this way day after day after day. They're hearing this. So the second giant that you're going to come against when you're trying to carry out God's dream for your life is discouragement. Because everyone who was alongside David on that battlefield when he took that food out to his brothers was afraid. The whole Israelite army was afraid of this one giant. And it was a common thing for, for armies to send out one, one soldier to battle on behalf of the rest of the army. And whoever lost, they would be subject to the other army and whoever won would be lords over them. So everyone in David's army knew that whoever had to go out there would have to go out there alone. And if they went out there alone, they wondered how they were going to fare. And I know I would have wondered how well I was going to fare. If I was going to come back with my face humbled in or not, I wouldn't come back at all, right? Uh, 1 Samuel 17, 8 to 11, it reads Each day Goliath would stand and shout at the ranks of Israel's army, Why do you come out here and line up with battle? Choose one man to fight me. If he's able to kill me, we will become your subjects. Mm. But if I kill him, you will become our subjects and servants. Day after day, Goliath taunted them, saying, This day I defy the ranks of Israel. When Saul and the Israelites heard this, everyone was deeply shaken and paralyzed with fear. Paralyzed with fear. So they couldn't move, like they did not want to advance on this man. And simply because he came out and said this time and time and time again, the army was discouraged. Now, bring that back to our own context. What are you hearing on a daily basis? What words of discouragement are you allowing to enter into your ears and actually affect you as a person? You can't do it. It's too big a task. That's impossible. You'll never get there. You're just not good enough. What words of discouragement are we allowing to make an impact on our hearts and if maybe impede us from the calling that God has called us to? And I think we talked about this a little bit in, the, in our relational world, being intentional about the people that you keep around you because negative talk is just so contagious, isn't it? Yeah, when you go to work and you hear people just whinging <coughs> about your boss, isn't it just easy to just join? them? Gossip is so contagious because it's just so easy to fall in trap. You know, because I've been part of it. I mean, it could be a beautiful day, outside. You get around a group of people and it's too hot. All of a sudden it's too hot and then the next day it's raining and they're all dreary and they're all miserable because it's raining. And this is simply around the three or four people that start a conversation. So when tasting the dream that God has placed in your heart, be careful of the discouragement that you allow to be around you. Amen? Does that make sense? Good. Good. so be aware of who and what you are listening to all right the third giant okay. and the, next, the third giant that we will come across when wanting to take part wanting to obtain the dreams God has for our lives, is the giant of disapproval. And we find in, in verse 26 or 29 of the story, his brother actually questioned his motives. David went out to the front line and he's talked to the soldiers and his brother jumped straight on him as any brother would. You have a brother or a sister, you know exactly what I'm talking about. And I want to see if, you, if this conversation between these two brothers actually rings a bell in your mind or brings back some memories. we go to the verse, we we'll read that David asked, talked to one of the soldiers there on the front line, and it says, What's the reward for killing this first team and ending this disgraceful abuse? When David's older brother heard this, he burned with anger and David, at David and said, why are you even here anyway? They told you to come. Does it sound like your brother? <laughs> actually, it sounds like me because I'm the oldest. <laughs> yeah? So and David's response to this is, what? Can I even ask you a question? So sibling rivalry <laughs> actually has an impact on whether or not David was gonna actually end up fighting in the line. Yeah? So he's out there he's he's just he's just curious yeah i remember maybe i remember just being able to join the youth join the youth because i was of age and because i was there my brother thought it was all right for him to join the youth. but he was supposed to be in kids church all right he had to wait another year and so when i see him walk into the youth on that friday night I'll blow him up. He's like, I waited this long to come to youth. What are you doing here? You got another year to wait. Come back to kids' church. He's like, No, no, mom said I could come. I <coughs> No, I'm well, going we to have an hour with mom after church. Anymore. That's not right. I had to wait to go to youth. <laughs> Simply It's it, it happens in just about every family. And that was going to be something that impeded or tried to impede. David from carrying out the dream. And the dream is that he's going to take down this job. All good? Now, sometimes it's your own family who don't want you to to achieve your dream. Because sometimes sibling rivalry actually creates resentment. Yeah? And uh, there's stories of. I think everyone has an experience of some family member somewhere. There was you know, some work set, some competition, and it just caused resentment in the family. And that's never a good place to be in the family. family. Yeah? Yeah. Now, the funny thing is that Jesus actually has, actually has brothers and sisters as well. I'm talking about and sisters, because Joseph and Mary actually ended up having kids after Jesus. Yeah. But the funny thing is that none of them actually came to a realization or gave their lives to God until after Jesus actually came back, resurrected from the dead. Which is pretty hard to, to argue with because when you watch your brother die on the cross and then three days later you see him walk into your house and he starts talking to you, that's going to change your mind. Yeah. Of course. But like can you imagine, you have to give the brothers this because can you imagine having to grow up with Jesus? Mr. Perfect. Alright? You didn't do anything wrong. You're playing with the ball in the living room. Someone throws it, hits the TV, TV hits the ground. Mary comes in, who did this? Yeah? The middle child says, that was Jesus. And Mary says, that wasn't Jesus. <laughs> you can blame anyone else. I don't blame Jesus. But Jesus lied. Jesus doesn't lie. <laughs> Jesus doesn't lie. I mean, that would cause that would cause resentment, right? It's like Mister Perfect. He does. He doesn't do anything wrong. Are you kidding me? Mom's never at him. It's like scouted him, like ever. I mean, not from the time they were missing <laughs> maybe she, was, she had some choice was in, but. Even then she would have known that this is the son of god he is absolutely perfect nothing he says and nothing that he does i mean even that just i can't even it. it's just it's just weird Being perfect but it's who he was so that can cause definitely cause resentment Going back to your dreams. The dreams that God gives you to dream are always big dreams because we serve a small God. No. They're big dreams because we serve a big God. Amen? Therefore, a way that you can actually test whether or not a dream is from God is that the dream will not work Unless God does something about it. You will not be able to achieve the dream that God has placed in your heart if God doesn't break you up. So if it's something that you can do in your own strength that you know you can kind of just work through and, you know, chip, it away, chip away at it slowly and then it all of a sudden to fruition, it's too small. It needs to be a dream that God has to actually show up in the situation. And then you know, okay, or maybe this is the drink calling horrible to water. Amen? The other thing that you need to know, or that you need to make up your mind over, is that God's approval of you matters more than anyone else's disapproval. You actually have to settle that in your heart. Because a lot of us can sometimes be walking around day to day with the disapproval of other people, just allowing that to sit in us and allowing it to hold us back. Because disapproval of other people it's in other words the other name for it is rejection. No one no one here enjoys being rejected. I know I don't in fact I'll actually sometimes maybe try to manipulate certain circumstances so that I can achieve acceptance you ever find yourself doing that sometimes? Anything to avoid rejection. Because I can't handle rejection. Here's the thing. When you're achieving or when you're wanting to achieve God's dream for your life, you are going to come up against rejection. People will always disapprove of something that God has placed, has, has given you a dream for. Because it's not the norm of our society to, to, to give all glory to God. It's not the moment it hasn't been on for a long time, amen? Eventually David asked the, uh, some of the soldiers, what's the reward for killing the light? You want to remember the three rewards? So the first reward was great wealth, I'm going to give you some money, Hey." Yay. Second reward is going to give you one of his daughters as a as a wife. I mean, that's alright, but I think the third one was the best. He said that you would live the rest of your life exempt from taxes. Now for me, that's the one that you want to go for. That's enough to go and fight the life. Okay? Because if we're exempt from taxes, we might actually all be rich people here. Okay? So he's given the reward. But it's in the rewards that we will find the fourth giant that we might face, and that is doubt. Because the rewards come from the king, and the king is the expert. And the expert doubted David's ability. Now Saul, as we know, he's, a, he's, he's been a king for a, long, for a while now, and he's been through battle. He's, he's grown up, and he's, he's lived out his kingship as a king who goes to battle. He goes to war. So, here, David is the oh Saul is the expert, sorry. And Saul looks at David and he says, No. No. You seen this bloke? You seen the light? He says, No, you're not going to go out there and fight him. In chapter 17, verse 32 to 33, we read David says, Don't you worry about a thing, king. He's confident. I've got this guy. Trust me. You see, sometimes confidence in God comes off as cockiness to other people. Yeah? When you have a confidence in God and what he can do and what what you've seen him do in your life, based on your experience, and you actually speak that out, people will look at you and say, Look at this guy. He's crazy. Look at you and look at him. No way you can defeat the life, right? So they came up to King Saul's cockiness. And Saul replied, there's no way you can go against this Philistine. You're only a boy, and he's been a professional warrior all his life. That being said, who here knows that sometimes the experts are just wrong? Yeah? Some of you come up and get a diagnosis, and they told you, you have a time. Or you've heard of a story where someone has a time and they were proven wrong because God came through. How many of you have been in a situation yeah, where the experts said that there's no hope and God proved himself faithful and decided that he was going to come through for you again? But sometimes the experts are just wrong. They're very wrong. You know, I'm brought back to the story of... Who knows the name Richard Dawkins? There's a famous, famous atheist. The guy who goes around the world. He's written a few books. Yeah, he's written a few books. And um, a couple of years ago, he was on Q&A. And he was talking with. It was a big, it was a big god debate. And um, one of his sort of the, the hinging point of his book was the fact that everything comes from nothing, and the whole topic of the conversation that night was him trying to define nothing, as if nothing needed a definition, because in my dictionary, nothing means nothing, and so this whole our debate was based around the topic that, oh, nothing actually means something, but I thought something would mean that there's something, and you wouldn't call it nothing but he calls it nothing. So that makes no sense at all, right? No sense at all. So sometimes the experts are wrong. And sometimes they can be flamboyantly just wrong. You know, I shared a testimony of one of our sisters in church uh, talking about her struggle during childbirth and the child actually being pronounced dead. And God decided to be faithful again and brought that child wow. to life. That baby being starved of oxygen for a time, and the experts saying that no, the baby's going to be brain dead for a very long time. And so they went and saw the experts in faith, and they, they just had faith in their everything was fine. And they went and saw the experts, and the experts who had already pre diagnosed him to, to have, have this mental disability. Sometimes the experts are very wrong. So even I sometimes will struggle with doubt when I hear a word from an expert. When I should be placing my faith in the God who is able to achieve so much more than anything that I could ever wonder or dream of. And placing my faith in his word rather than the word of an expert, who, mind you, was even created by the God that I serve. So the experts are very often wrong. Amen? So, those are just four of the giants that you might come. Into battle with when trying to fulfill the dream that God has placed in your life. And now we're going to discuss four things that we can do to overcome these giants. Amen? Let's hear the good side. Number one, I remember how God has helped me in the past. Let's go straight to the scripture. Verse 36. This is David speaking to Saul after Saul's already slammed him down for not being able to carry out the duty of defeating the giant. And he says, in protecting my sheep, I killed both a lion and a bear. The Lord who delivered me from the teeth of that lion and the claws of that bear will surely now deliver me from this Philistine too." So he went back to his experience. This is what David did. Sometimes, when you're facing these giants in your life, all you have to do is remember what God's already done in my life. Now I know I can be grateful for what God's done in my life because I could have been a long, long long way from where I'm standing today if it wasn't for God's grace in my life. I'm sure we all have a story like that. I'm sure there was a pit that you felt you would never come out of and then God pulled you out of that place. In whatever circumstance, in whatever area. We talked about all these areas, talk about physical, mental, spiritual, and the rest. <laughs> yeah? So we've all come through stages where we felt maybe God's not in this, but if you would just look back <coughs> and see the lion that God allowed you to overcome. And see the bear that he allows you to take power over. It will give you strength to the season ahead. Because he's been there before. And the good thing about God is, his word says that he never changes. Yeah. So it's not going to be someone who just simply takes care of you then. He's not going to take care of you. You the future. know his word promises that. Amen. So live in the idea that not only we need to look ahead but our experiences allow us to have faith for the future Amen moving on number two use the tools that God has given me in a year's time oh use the tools that God's given me now how many of us sort of have those conversations in our head yeah, where you try to justify why you're not doing something. Oh, yeah, I could go for a run, but I need a gym. And... Mm-hmm. No, <laughs> you need some runners which are sitting there and haven't been used for the last six months. And you already have those two. Yeah, oh, I could, try, but I want to get my finances in order. Works works the other way around? You're tired and your finances coming off. Oh, yeah, I could catch up with that person for coffee, but I don't feel like we have enough of a relationship to be able to do something like that. No, have a coffee is how you build a relationship. Use the tools that you have in your hands now. Yeah, Don't wait for the boat to come in. Jump into the water, swim out to the boat, because otherwise you will be waiting a very long time for that boat to come in. Take a step today. If there's a dream of God's place in your heart, take an intentional step today. Go for that run, go for the walk. Have a look at your finances. But take a step, don't wait for something else to come because if you wait for conditions to be perfect, flash. the conditions are never perfect. You will always find an excuse to put something on. Then <sighs> Saul dressed David in his own armour, but David said, I cannot go out in these because I'm not used to them. So he took them, instead he chose five smooth stones. his sling. David knew that he didn't have to go to the king to use the king's armor because the king's armor wouldn't work for him. But he knew how to use a sling. He was an expert with sling. We talked about it just at the beginning. The sling in the hands of the right person is very deadly. Stopping a giant. So use what's in your hands. Don't wait till you're able to come to the front and share the word. No, you can give a handshake at the door. Use what you have. Don't wait for something, some big opportunity, because you might never come and you might just miss the opportunity to carry out the dream that God has to Amen. I Amen. The next verse is in Ecclesiastes, chapter 11, verse 4. If you wait for perfect conditions, you will never get anything done. This is what the word says. Because perfect conditions don't really exist. but You can always take a step to strive toward what God has called you to do. Amen? Amen. Amen. Number three. Ignore the dream busters. See, when David was actually uh, given permission to go and fight Goliath by King Saul, um, the the king and all his troop, they got around and prayed for him in a huddle. And they put their hand on his head and they anointed him as the sole defender of Israel. No? That's not what happened. What happened? He wasn't encouraged. The king didn't tell him good luck. No one even patted him on the back. Hey, buddy. Don't take care of <laughs> went. He walked past the front line of the Israelite army, army and no one said a word to him. No one encouraged him. Sometimes when you're going to be chasing the dream that God has for your life, no one will encourage you. What does David do? 1 Samuel chapter 30 verse 6. When others were speaking against him, David encouraged himself in the Lord. When you're looking for encouragement, being around people who are encouraging, that's awesome. But sometimes those people aren't always going to be there to encourage you. The one thing that will always be there is the opportunity to encourage yourself in the Lord. So David knew that. And I'm not talking about just positive thinking. I'm not saying that it's bad, but positive thinking, early, it's, it's not going to get you very far the—and the, Positive thinking, although it is good because the alternative is negative thinking, think positively. But simply, the sun will come out tomorrow, that's not going to help you. When you're going through deep, deep trials and tribulation. but encouraging yourself in the Word and in your relationship with God, leaving yourself, creating a bedrock for your faith to sit on, that is what holds you strong in the face of, of adver- adversity. 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 A strong faith is built when we encourage ourselves in the Word. Get to know the Word because the Word is always true and the Word is always encouraging. You are never discouraged if you go to the Word. So go to the Word. Amen? And the last of the tools that we can use to overcome giants is expect God to help me for His glory. In the verse, we read as David runs out onto the battlefield to face the he says, I read, and David shouted, you come at me with sword, spear, and javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord Almighty. Today the Lord will conquer you, and the whole world will know, will know that there is a God. And everyone will know that the Lord doesn't need weapons to rescue his people. It is his battle. Not ours, the Lord will give you to us. If I just go back, sorry, to the verse before, today the Lord will come to you. You actually have to expect that God's going to do something in your life. And the way that you live. Whether or not you expect God to do something, that's exactly what's going to happen. If you're not expecting God to do anything in your relationships, don't expect anything to change in your relationships. If you're not expecting God to do something in your finances, then don't be surprised when nothing happens in your finances. Be expecting for God to move. David was expecting God to conquer Goliath for and with him. He didn't go in there simply just with a big hurrah, just ready with a stone in hand. No, he came expecting. It. Like, Lord, you've done this before. I've killed the lion. I've killed the bear. And I will kill this beast of the man. Expecting God to meet him. Expecting God to administer his power unto him that he might be able to sling that stone like he's never slung a stone in his life. The word says that according to your faith, it will be done unto you. So if you don't actually expect anything, don't be surprised when nothing happens. So what I'm actually trying to say is expect God to move in your workplace. Expect God to move in your relationships. Expect God to come through in your finances. Because if you don't expect it, then don't be surprised that nothing happens. The other issue that sometimes can stop us from expecting God to do things actually finds itself rooted in the idea that do we actually trust God? Do you actually trust the word that God has? That he's placed before us to, to take... Take note of and to live as part of our lives because if we do trust God, then an expectation of God moving that's just that comes hand in hand. But sometimes we don't expect God to do anything because we don't really trust God to do anything. Because if, if you don't trust God and you don't expect God to do anything, then you're not surprised and you're not made upset because you didn't do anything. Because Nothing equals nothing equals nothing. Sometimes we're just scared to make ourselves vulnerable to trust God enough that he might actually do something. But that's faith. It's what we talk about all the time. Having faith that we trust in God, we know that he comes through and he has come through in the past, and then to actually put expectation behind our faith to see things change in our lives. And see the dreams that he's placed in our hearts attain for his kingdom. Amen, am I talking to you (laughs) now? You see, your dream will scare you. Your dream will scare you. And without God leading you, it will be impossible to, to achieve the dream you have and that God has placed in you for your life. Amen. I'm just gonna ask these, you guys come on. I'm to pray. But before I pray, I'm just gonna ask you to close your eyes. Not because there's something super holy about closing your eyes, but I just don't want you to be distracted by